0: So, um, so we'll read through, we'll read through the text here and then we'll pray and, uh, and jump in. Here. The events that we've been going through are things that are happening, the last few chapters, things that are happening the very last night before Jesus is, um, before he's crucified. So, uh, let's read through sixteen, seventeen. um. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they haven't known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I didn't say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more You, All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore... What is this that he says, a little while? We don't know what he's saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. And you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I don't say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself hears you. Because you have loved me and have have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. N- now now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you, come, that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble, you'll have tribulation. But, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you've given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you've given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them, I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they're yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world." just as I am not of the world. I I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I I desire that they also, whom whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, the world hasn't known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these couple of chapters here, as we have this incredible insight to look into, to hear how Jesus prayed, and what he prayed for, what he asked. I pray that you would motivate us, that you would work deeply down in our hearts as you have promised to do, that you would continue to change us and to conform us into your image, an image marred by sin, but being restored as we walk with you. Uh, to be completed when we see, when we see you face to face. Whatever that will look like. Father, help us to value what you value, to put first what you put first. honor what you honor. And you are the only true God. And you have sent your Son, Jesus, that we might have eternal life. That life is in you, God, and in your Son. So teach us to trust you, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, back with me to the beginning of the chapter 16 here. Jesus has been prepping his disciples here. This is after dinner, the night he's going to be uh, betrayed, the next day he'll be crucified. This is after dinner, and he's prepping them for this reality that he's going to be leaving, that he's gone. He's going to be going. Yes, he's going to be executed. Then he'll be raised from the dead. They'll see him uh, variously for about 40 days. And then he's going to ascend and he will be gone. He returns to the Father, as he repeatedly says in a number of places here. Um, He's prepping them for that. And so the beginning of this chapter... Uh, reflects that these things i've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble he's saying i'm just telling you this stuff so that you're not offended when it happens so that you're aware of what's going to what's going to come down right he didn't want them to be shocked or surprised by what was going to happen by him leaving them by him going he'd already promised to send the helper the holy spirit whom he called the spirit of truth the one who would come alongside them and lead them into all truth and bring to remembrance the things that he taught them. He'd already given them that promise earlier on in in our text. Um, Now he's going to reiterate that a couple more times, actually. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble, to trip up. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, yes. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. I think that's important for them to hear, okay? Because for these Jewish believers, they're... Expecting and believing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but what's going to happen predominantly in Israel is not that he's going to be accepted by everyone. And I think they're coming to terms with that reality. He's been warning them of this in in various ways, right? But as they're coming to terms with that, even after he's glorified, even after everything is accomplished in his first coming, after he finishes all the work that he's been given to do, the result of it isn't going to be that their lives are going to be easier for having followed him. The result of it isn't going to be that their lives are going to be nicer or fancier. In fact, instead of the place where typically Jews would meet with God and hear God's commands, they're actually going to be excommunicated from that place. They're going to be kicked out of it. And as we get to the book of Acts, we're going to find that... Uh, predominantly one of the, the primary places, the first, place, the first place in almost every city that Paul went to where he faced persecution was always the Jews first. It was his pattern of ministry, was always to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. As the Jews in a city rejected their Messiah, Paul would then go to the Gentiles. This was his pattern. He talked to us about why he did that in the book of Romans. Um, but it was the pattern that Paul believed God had established, that the gospel, the good news was to the Jew first and then to the, to the non-Jew, to the Gentile, okay? Um, regardless he's prepping them for this reality that he's going to be going away and this doesn't necessarily mean he's going to accomplish what he was sent to accomplish but it doesn't mean butterflies and roses for them in fact it means trouble pain you're going to be excommunicated kicked out from the synagogue uh, the place where jews would typically go to to hear the the writings The readings of the Torah and the teachings. They would be kicked out of it. um, And yes, he continues the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And we get later on, when we get to the book of Acts, we'll see that's the mentality that, that Saul had before his conversion, right? He's on this crusade to to defend the honor of the God of Israel against these um, Christians, this sect of Jews called Christians that he believes are are wrong. And as he's doing so, he has permission and authority to um, arrest and to send back uh, to Jerusalem for uh, execution, or for imprisonment, uh, those who were following the way, as it was called at the time. It wasn't only Saul, right? Others did the same thing, and others since have as well. Jesus flat out warned them. The trouble, I suppose, that we get ourselves into is when we embrace some idea of the Christian life that suggests that rightly walking with God will result in the absence of trouble or difficulty or pain. We haven't been promised that, Um, regardless of what some of our features on TV might try to tell you. <laughs> we haven't been promised that. We haven't promised Emmanuel, God with us. And I have found over the years that one of the things that does end up tripping up many people in their walk with God is that reality. They embrace this great news of the forgiveness of sins in the blood of Jesus that he died for their sins and was buried and raised from the dead but somehow there's somebody who's told them that that meant everything in their life was going to be easier or some things were going to be easier or better or some other thing that just wasn't promised them and when it didn't happen they stumble they trip up because all of their troubles weren't immediately removed (laughs) All their pain wasn't immediately dealt with in the way that they had expected it to be. So um, Jesus flat out says to his disciples, I'm telling you these things because I don't want you to, be, to stumble. I don't want you to be tripped up. <clears throat> Whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. That's still true in some places. These things they will do to you because they haven't known the Father nor me But these things I've told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I didn't say to you at the beginning because I was with you. (laughs) He's like, I I was here present with you. So I wasn't telling you those things yet. But now that he's going away, he's giving them these realities about what they are to expect, what they're going to face now that he's leaving. Keep in mind the predominant direction of this persecution for these disciples that are hearing it is going to be from their Jewish family, from their brothers and sisters of Israel. They're going to face this very direct persecution. And so Jesus warns them of it so that they won't be made to stumble. They're, they know what to expect now. So if they're expecting something else, it seems that it's on them at this point. Because he's been honest with them. Like Things are going to be hard. Okay? In fact, whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. That's pretty severe. right? Now verse 5 says this, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, earlier on, Jesus had said, um, the way you know um, where I go, you know, and the way you know, right? And somebody said, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? But they didn't ask him where he was going. (laughs) They just said, we don't know the way, right? And so now he says this, now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asked me where you're going, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You can imagine that, right? (laughs) He's like, I'm leaving. Your whole lives are going to be changed now. You've been living with me and doing this ministry stuff and traveling for three years, three and a half years or so. Now, now everything's going to be changing. And there's going to be grief related to that reality, right? Their lives are going to be adjusted. They're going to be shifting. And they're also going to be kicked out of synagogue. People are going to kill them and say, we're doing this for God, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask where you're going. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're just sad. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. A lot of us, I don't think, want to hear that. I'm not sure the disciples wanted to hear that, right? They're like, Lord, but you're with us. We can see you with our eyes, you know. Because sometimes we get the mentality that says, well, if I could just see him, or if I was around back then, I would feel differently in my faith. In my trust, in my confidence of him. Mm -hmm. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This reality that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out by Jesus himself after he ascended. What do the time frames mean, though? This is... Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fill in the blanks. I'm just like, these are things that I wonder, like he's crucified. He says to Mary, uh, right after the resurrection, he says, Mary, don't cling to me because I'm going to the father. Don't, don't just grab onto me. You know? Uh, and then, um, he appears variously for 40 days to different groups at one time. He appears to over 500 people at one time. Um, he shows himself to the disciples and others, and then he leaves. And then 10 days later, after he ascends, the disciples watch him float up into the clouds. 10 days later, is Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we'll read that story in a few weeks when we get there. Um, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And everything in their lives, even from that point on, everything changes. Even as they go through the troubles that they're going through, they're no longer hiding in places like they were after the the resurrection. Now they're just embracing that suffering. (laughs) They're embracing that reality of persecution and of suffering for his namesake. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you certainly it's beneficial for us now that he went away and he sent the Holy Spirit. (laughs) For we have the Spirit with us. We needn't have the body of Jesus in one particular geographic location. Let's say then that Jesus were still on the earth in Israel today. It's a long trip for me to go ask him a question, right? (laughs) Uh, But instead, God has come to us in the person of his Spirit, now present wherever we are ever present always present with us the difficulty that i have is that because i can't see him i have a hard time believing him sometimes i have a hard time trusting at times not because he hasn't said so but that is the challenge isn't it the challenge is to embrace the truth of what he has said over against the reality that God is invisible (laughs) and and I can't see an invisible God. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we don't have to worry or wonder so much about what Jesus meant by those things. The Holy Spirit convicting the world, the helper convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus lays out for us some of what we are to understand he means by that. Verse nine says of sin because they don't believe in me. Remember in previous chapters, he said, if I hadn't come to the Jews, they would have no sin, particularly in regard to him as their Messiah. But the rejection of him and that unforgiveness, that unforgivable sin, the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy against the Spirit that was committed by Israel, that was something that happened because he came. This, is, this also reminds me of what Paul says about the law itself, that the law was given to magnify sin, to make sin sinnier, right? To, to, it's one thing for us to live in the world and to do wrong things, but for the king of the world to say, doing this thing is wrong. We already know intuitively because we have the law written in our hearts that that certain things are wrong. But for the king to make it very clear, this is not what is right about the way you are to treat other people and the way you are to respond to me, and then we violate that law, it just magnifies our sin. It makes our sin grosser. It makes our sin worse. And then when the Messiah comes and says, all of your sins, as gross as they are, I will take away. I will take into myself. And be crushed for them. Crushed, bruised for you. He was for us. So the law was given to magnify sin only so that the gift of God's grace given to us, that God forgives the incredible weight of our sin that we just seem to like gloss over and think is no big deal. And some of that I suppose is because of our lack of maybe for us is our lack of study of of the law. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness, verse 10 says, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. See, Jesus returning to the Father is evidence of his righteousness. That Jesus was righteous. Righteous. That's why he could ascend to the Father. <laughs> and they would see him no more. Jesus was right, righteous. And he, the Spirit, convicts the world of sin and of righteousness because he goes to the Father and they see him no more. In verse 11 of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I just want you to sit with that just for a second. Like in Luke 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven come to the book of Revelation, you see the same type of descriptive language used about about the ruler of this world, about the prince of the power of the air, as the apostle Paul calls him, that he has been judged. The weight of Satan's weapons against us is in many ways our sin. And because Jesus has dealt with our sin against God by removing it from us, he has absolutely dealt with all that that enemy has against us. It's gone. He is the accuser of the brethren. But everything he accuses of you, he accuses you of has been forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus, washed away. We struggle sometimes to embrace that, to walk in that reality, to believe it to be true. But this is, this is what special revelation is about. I wouldn't know it to be true except that God said it is true. He convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I like that a lot. <laughs> Sometimes... People want to go around and say, well, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment because you're all terrible. And and while that's true uh, for us, (laughs) I love that Jesus uh, reminds us that part of the ministry of God's Spirit in convicting the world of judgment is to show that the ruler of this world is judged. This is how we deal with the problem of evil. The Bible doesn't hide this, it is no problem in the revelation of Scripture. the ruler of this world is the father of lies he is the ruler of the world system don't misunderstand this doesn't mean that anything is out of the hands of the one omnipotent king He is somehow in the midst of that reality able to to bring, to give beauty for ashes. To give joy where there is mourning. To redeem and to restore broken things. And he does so for his own glory because it in fact does glorify him. I still have many things to say to you verse 12 says and so do i we've got quite a bit to go through so let's move on i still have many things to say to you but you can't bear them now <sighs> however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak jesus had previously said that about himself that he spoke the things that he heard from the father and now he's relaying that reality about the ministry of the Spirit who would be sort of taking his place as he left and returned to the Father. The Holy Spirit would come to them as the gift from God and he would lead them into all truth because he is the Spirit of truth. He doesn't lead us into error. He is the Spirit of truth. Whatever he, he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. A uh, reminder of uh, the prophetic ministry of the Spirit as well, by the way. And prophetic, not only in the sense of uh, didactic didactic prophecy or teaching prophecy, uh, but uh, even foretelling the future at times. And we'll see that as we get to the book of Acts. There are circumstances where that particular uh, thing occurs in very specific ways he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Jesus's and the Spirit declares them to us, makes them known to us. These are things that Paul, this information here is something that Paul the Apostle lays out in great detail in a number of his books. And In just a little bit we might read some of that as well sort of to go along with this. But, um, the, thing, the overall theme I want you to see in this, one of the overall themes, is the centrality and the, the, the reality of the personhood of Jesus and who he is. He's not just some other man. He's not just a, a good dude saying nice things about the world, trying to make the world a better place. All things that the Father has are mine, he said. Do you get that? All things that the Father has are mine. You know what, you know what the Father has? Everything. That's what he has. He has everything. Every, everything belongs to God. Everything. Nothing is outside of his hands. Nothing. Everything belongs to him. And Jesus said, All things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you'll, see, you'll not see me. Again, a little while, verse 16 says, and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now they're confused. Uh, then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We don't know what he's saying. Of course, you and I have the benefit of having read through what happens after this, right? He's going to be crucified, he's going to be raised from the dead, and then he's going to be seen a little bit, right, for a little while, and then he's going to ascend uh, once for all, if you would. And then, and then actually, in a couple of circumstances, he's seen in very particular ways, one by the Apostle Paul later on, in a very peculiar, as Paul said, I was like one born out of due season, <laughs> like in, in the way that I saw the resurrected Lord the way that I saw Jesus after the resurrection. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. and He said to them, verse 19 tells us, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? <laughs> he knew they didn't understand. <laughs> He's like, are you guys trying to figure this out? <laughs> Most assuredly, I say to you that you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy there really isn't a whole lot to say about that. All, I think that it's clear what's being talked about here. They're going to be incredibly broken when he's crucified, when he leaves them. They're going to, to to mourn this reality. But then, then when they see the resurrected king, and then eventually after he ascends and the Holy Spirit is given to them, then there is fullness of joy. Even they have so much joy that when they're beaten for continuing to tell people that Jesus came back from the dead, it says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. That brought them joy, to get beaten for continuing to tell people that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were full of joy, even in that circumstance, right? (laughs) Among various others, many, many others, even as they saw uh, their brethren executed and, and others uh, killed, simply because of this testimony that Jesus was seen alive again after he had died. The, as we get to the book of Acts, one of the things we're going to see throughout the book of Acts is that the centrality of the resurrection in the life of the early church was such a prominent point of everything that they taught and believed. Jesus' resurrection first because his resurrection is the seed bed of our resurrection. That's why it's so central. Because of all the good that we might do in the world, it is all short and short-sighted. Because you're dying. And Jesus has conquered death. And don't you dare think for one minute that the unbelieving world isn't interested in that. Why do you think we've been pumping so much money into all of our therapies and remedies for all sorts of physical ailments? Because we want to keep living. Jesus gives a very, uh, somewhat dramatic, but real illustration of the, the feeling that they would have. Sorrow, and then that sorrow followed by joy. Um... When he says this in verse 21, a woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Uh, And she does, right? Um, Kelly went into labor with one of our kids uh, the night before our our, our C-section was scheduled. And it looked terrible. (laughs) I don't, yeah. (laughs) It was painful. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hours come. But as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. At least for like a moment. (laughs) For joy that a human being has been born into the world. (laughs) I think that at least we can settle with this reality. Obviously... um, people do this more than once, right? <laughs> At least some of them. <laughs> I think that we can understand the reality of what he's saying though, right? This is such a real picture that all of that anguish is even though even before a person g- gets pregnant, even before you're going to have a child, you know that childbirthing is painful and you st- we still choose to get pregnant well, most of the time, not always, right? <laughs> but but people still choose to get pregnant, knowing that that's a reality, right? Mm. We embrace that pain for the joy set before us. And that's a familiar statement, right? Because the apostle, uh, or, or I say the apostle, whoever wrote the book of Romans, <laughs> um, reminds us of that about Jesus. That he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He's using that type of illustration, that type of language. Because we know the the joy and we expect the joy of being able to hold our own children in our arms, we embrace the pain that's involved in that process. So he's reminding them of that. They're going to be sad, but it's going to be replaced with joy. For joy that a human being is born in the world. Verse 22, therefore you now have sorrow, but I'll see you again and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. Don't misunderstand. Jesus knows exactly how they're feeling right now as he's laying all of this on him. I mean, this is heavy stuff that he's laying on them. I'm leaving, guys. I'm going to be gone. and, And you're going to be sad about it. But I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And that became a reality for them. The joy no one did take from them. In that day, verse 23, In that day you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be fully. brings this back to this place of saying, your joy is, isn't, I, I want you to be full of joy. And part of this is the reality that you can ask the Father for for whatever you need. And that day you'll ask me nothing, he said. Previously, they could ask Jesus whatever they wanted because he's physically right there with them. Lord, what about this? Lord, what should we do? Lord, what direction do we need to go? Lord, what do you want me to do about this person here? You know, who's coming to you for help or whatever. Lord, what do you need? Anything you need. What direction you need? He's literally like the the Urum and the thummim, Right? The, the lights and perfections, that breastplate the high priest wore that had those two stones in it. If you had any question for God, you'd go to the high priest and you could ask the high priest and the high priest would ask God and he would reach into that, that um, open breastplate there and he would pull out one of the stones, the urim and the, or the thummim, and they would have direction. They would know what God wanted by what stone came out of that. It was something that God had ordained for their direction, for their leading, and now Jesus is on the earth, and Jesus is there. So when Jesus is there, if you're following Jesus and you have a question, what do you do? You go to Jesus and you say, Lord, what should I do right now? You ever thought that like that? You ever had those kinds of questions? I've had those kinds of questions about life frequently. Lord, what do you want me to do? What now? What should I do in this circumstance, in this situation? And if he was right here present with me, then I could just ask him, but... He's teaching them that there will be a transition from them just asking Jesus, because he's right there in front of them, to them asking the Father, to them praying to the Father. You can ask the Father, he says to them. This is bringing them into this glorious relationship as, as children of God. Until now you've asked nothing in my name And that, that is this key to prayer If we could even use that kind of language I don't like to use that language often But this reality of prayer that, <coughs> that we ought to be those who understand The authority of God in such a way That when we pray We want to pray according to His will In His name According to what, what His nature is Until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. And I want to encourage you today again, once more, ask, ask, pray the things that you're wrestling with about life and about what you should do or not do, the the things that you're unsure of, or even the things that you think you're sure of, ask, (laughs) pray, ask for direction. And then also, don't neglect to pick up the scriptures and read them as God uses his word frequently to continue to give direction to our lives. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you'll you'll ask in my name, and I don't say... I don't say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He's relaying to them this reality of who he is once more and bringing them into this reality of their relationship with God that they are his children and they can ask God for whatever it is that they need. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you, come, you came forth from God. Because now you're just saying to us plainly the reality that, that you came from him and you're going back to, to the Father and we can ask God anything. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. Now Jesus answered them, verse 31, Do you now believe... <laughs> I love this because it seems to me that Jesus is, he's, uh, I don't know, if maybe I'd just call this being a realist. He's just like, are you sure? Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come. It's right now that you'll be scattered. Remember in the previous chapter, he had said that Simon Peter, and, and the chapter before, he had said that Simon Peter was going to deny him three times. Now he's saying you're all going to be scattered. Not just Simon, all of you. You're all going to be scattered. Each to his own and will leave me alone. Can I just remind you that even when you fail in your obedience to the Lord, it is no surprise to Him. And if you will hear His voice calling you to return, please, please go to Him. Return to Him. No matter how far you think you have fallen. He is not surprised by your scattering because something has happened that you didn't expect. You'll be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I want to remind you of that, that you can say the same thing even when you feel that everyone else has abandoned you. If you feel that way at work or if you feel that way in ministry, if you feel that way in your family, if you feel that way in your relationship with your spouse. I want you to remember that you aren't alone. I am not alone because the Father is with me. That's a good thing to remind yourself of. Even when all your friends turn their back on you because they don't like the direction that you're taking with your life as you are pursuing Jesus. Still, He is with you. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There are some things I'd as I've mentioned in previous studies, that it would be nicer if Jesus just didn't say. This is one of them. In the world, you will have trouble. Tribulation means, means troubles. So, why do you and I still think it's a strange thing when we face various trials and tribulations? not remembering that these things are being used by a great king to refine, to purify our faith. And and there's something I want to remind you of about the purifying process, about the refinery process of metals. It isn't only to demonstrate how pure that metal already is. It is, in fact, to burn away the other things in the metal that aren't pure. It is to remove those things so that after the refining process, the metal is purer than it was before. Okay? So sometimes we look at trials or tribulations, and we look at them even in that, 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 that uh, refinery sense, and we think, oh, well, this just, just demonstrates. This is only going to prove what my faith really is or isn't. And while there is some truth to that, it isn't the only truth to it. Because the refining process is also about burning away the impurities so that what remains is purer than what had been. And I I believe with all my heart that that is something that God continues to do in the trials that we face. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's no reason to be of good cheer if he's not in you <laughs> and you in him. I have overcome the world. Hey, he didn't say be of good cheer. You've overcome the world. Nope. He said be of good cheer because I, not, not me, him. He has overcome the world, right? Jesus has overcome the world. It's not really great news unless he is in you as you've trusted him and he's given you his spirit because if he is in you, then he is able to do the same thing in you. But oftentimes we find it to be true, like the Apostle Paul tells us: "When I am weak, then I am strong." I don't sit here telling you to try to try to be stronger in the trouble that you face, or in the trials and tribulations that you go through. In fact, I'm one sitting here telling you to embrace your weakness, to to be crumbled, to let it hurt. To find that he will meet you there in all of those broken places and be strength. The difference is then that the glory for going through them doesn't belong to you. We don't come through the other side of our trials as followers of Jesus and say, I did it because of how great I am. That is what the world teaches us though, isn't it? Look how strong that person look how look what they went through, look how they endured. But instead, for you and I who follow Jesus, we get the benefit of saying, I'm crushed by this. I, I don't know how to go on. And yet we do. Because he is present. And as we pass through those things, we are able at the end of them to say, it was him, not us. It was his strength, not ours. The glory belongs to God, not to us. Bring glory to God. Give glory to God. Not not to ourselves. Not to ourselves, O Lord, but to you, O God. Be glory and praise and honor. In the world you'll have troubles, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. (laughs) Cheer up, they said. I've overcome the world. And the promise is that we too will overcome the world because he is in us and we in him. Chapter 17, verse 1 says this, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, this is what is frequently referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We get insight here into Jesus personally speaking to the Father, and the very beginning of it I think is so wonderful because he doesn't bow his head and close his eyes, (laughs) which is our pattern when we pray, isn't it? Listen, I have kids, I know why we do that. <laughs> Bow your heads, close your eyes. Because <laughs> we want our kids to not be distracted by everything. And, and also, there certainly can be application for us related to that as well, right? I have found, and, and did a number of years ago, found a great liberation when I uh, realized that I don't have to do that. <laughs> that I can just look up. I can look up to the heavens and speak to my Father who hears me always because of Jesus. I've also found great testimony in that to the world. In a natural sense, as I'm watching someone pray, it appears different to me personally. I'm just sharing my opinion here with you. Doesn't, you can take it or leave it and whatever. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. But when I close my eyes and bow my head, sometimes it feels like I'm praying to myself. And frankly, that's been true. Sometimes I have prayed to myself (laughs) because I'm that narcissistic. But I've found great liberty in lifting my eyes, looking up to the sky. This is wonderful also when you're outside. Looking to the heavens and talking to the king who sits on his throne. Ruling over everything. There's liberation and power. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Do you remember how John pointed out in several situations earlier when things were happening in the ministry of Jesus? He used these statements saying, my hour is not yet come. The time isn't ready yet. Okay? Several times he, he brought that stuff out. Now, Jesus says, the hour has come. He had said that earlier at dinner. Now he's reiterating that, rea- reiterating that reality to them. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. I'm sorry, what now? Do you see that? As you have given him authority over all flesh. Jesus speaking to the Father, referring to himself. As you've given me authority over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Messiah whom you have sent. I just want to ask you one more time, what is it that you're living for The end of life when you die and i have to speak at your funeral and tell everybody how great you were or not (laughs) what's going to matter the way that we've spent our time and our money and our energy what's going to really matter then as you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah, whom you sent. I have glorified you on the earth, Jesus said. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Listen, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Please make no mistake about who Jesus claims himself to be. He is no mere man. No, He is all man and all that that means, yet without sin. But He is not merely a man. You and I would do well to place our confidence, our trust in Him, to pursue Him, to follow Him, to hear His words, to meditate on Him, on what He has said. I have manifested or revealed your name, verse 6 says, to the men whom you've given me out of the world, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Keep in mind, this is happening after dinner, after Judas has already left. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Judas took the piece of bread Jesus gave him when John asked him who it was who'd be to betray him. He said, the person I give this bread to, to John, he gives the bread to Judas, Judas eats it. The Bible says Satan entered Judas after the bread. Which kind of breathes more power into the communion meal to me. If Satan entered Judas after he ate the bread. <laughs> what kind of realities are there related to our um, coming to the Lord's table? And the work that He does in our hearts and our lives through that ritual meal. I've manifested your name to them whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they have known that all things that you've that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you've given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. Can you imagine if you're one of the disciples hearing Jesus pray this about you? He's already told Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times this very night. He's told them that they're all going to be scattered. But now in his prayer, as he's praying to the Father, he's saying, hey, these people, these guys you've given me, they all believe me. Father, they've embraced your word. They've clung to it. they've received them and have known surely that i came forth from you and they've believed that you sent me this becomes in the midst of what they're about to face in the fact that they're going to like run away from him as he's arrested and flee from him this becomes uh for me an incredible place where he's he's like bolstering their faith he's building it up here by praying this way by the way these are things that you and i can do too as we pray for each other (laughs) verse 10 all mine are yours and yours are mine oh sorry skip verse 9 verse 9 i pray for them i don't pray for the world but for those whom you've given me for they are yours let me stop right there some people for some reason want to take this verse and they want to say this means that jesus never prays for the world never i I don't even know what that means so what, what does that even mean when somebody says that It's a weird thing. For some reason, people want to take this to mean that. I just think it's, he's in the middle of a prayer right now. and He's saying, right now, I'm not praying for the rest of the world. Right now, I'm praying for these people right here. I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they're yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. Jesus had already told them that the world would know that they are his disciples by their love one for another, and now he prays to the Father, saying, Father, would you unify them, would you bring together your people? That they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept And none of them is lost except the son of perdition That the scripture might be fulfilled Can you just I don't know what to say except to say I want you to relax in that To rest in that Just as he prays for those disciples So he prays for you You who belong to him While I was with them in the world I kept them in your name Those whom you gave me I kept And none of them is lost Except the son of perdition That the scripture might be fulfilled There's a reason for that The son of perdition means destruction And we can talk more When we get to Paul's letter The Romans about The vessels prepared for for wrath And God's enduring them That the scripture might be fulfilled Judas betrayed Jesus that the writings would be fulfilled. There had to be someone. It was him. But now I come to you, now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world, verse 13 says, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. There's one thing I want to remind you of that Jesus seems to be repeating over and over and over again is this preeminence of the word of God. How little attention we give to God's word. And I know I'm using that in the common colloquialism with which we use it now, the scriptures. But it's because of Jesus' teaching that we even use that as a common colloquialism. It's because of the way that Jesus referred to the writings of the prophets, that we refer to them as the word of God. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, guys, who are you trying to make happy? If I would be the servant of God, I cannot be the servant of man. And this might mean that I run everything into the ground in a natural sense. (laughs) Because it doesn't please the people around me. (laughs) But I'm dying. I'll be dead soon enough. And it's King Jesus that I want to see. Because he raises the dead. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, right? Because that's our natural thought, first of all, frequently is when I'm going through tribulation or difficulty or persecution specifically, get me out of this, remove it from me. Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to take them away from the tribulations and the troubles and the world that hates them. I'm not telling you to do that, Father. I'm not asking you to do that. Instead, I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one, to protect them, to help them to endure. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They, verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world is not the foundation of our lives any longer as followers of Jesus. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctification or sanctify means to set something apart from something else. The whole world, according to the, the writings and teachings of Jesus, the writing and the scripture and the teaching of Jesus is divided into two groups. Humanity is divided into two predominant people groups. That is, those who belong to him <laughs> and those who do not. sanctify them by your truth set them apart from the rest of the world these are teachings reiterated throughout the scriptures um, a lot by the apostle Paul when he says things like don't uh, be conformed to the world but, but be being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you would know what is the acceptable and good the good and acceptable will of God Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Once more we find that again. Your word is truth. The word of God. And if you need a reminder about that, just read Psalm 119. It might take you a minute. <laughs> Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus wasn't calling his disciples out of the world in the midst of what they were about to face and suffer as he left in fact he's sending them out this is their apostolic commission if you would they are sent out by him specifically to do the work that he's called them to do they are apostles apostolos means one who is sent out that's the greek word that we translate apostle it's where apostle comes from he is sent out as they are sent out as emissaries of him as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus set himself apart from the world around him, that they also may be sanctified by the truth, that they would be separated by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, verse 20. Now he says, he, remember, first thing he said in verse 9 was, I pray for them. Uh, now specifically for those uh, that you've given me because they're yours. Now he says in verse 20, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That me. It has been a long time, but that's me. <laughs> I believe in Jesus because of the testimony, beginning with the testimony of the apostles, that he has risen from the dead. It is absolutely the foundational point of Christian doctrine and teaching and reality, is that Jesus is alive from the dead. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What does he pray for us? That they all may be One. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. What? I just... I don't know who you're trying to impress. Why? The glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. This glory is about unity. The visible church has really mucked that up, haven't we? Unity. everyone who says they know him doesn't necessarily know him. We, we know that to be true. It doesn't mean that someone is necessarily following Jesus simply because they claim to be a Christian. But it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the point, the point that Jesus is praying about here. That we would be One in God, that he would unite together in himself a people for himself, of every tribe and nation and tongue. This is what the, the glory of the church has always been, this this um, cosmopolitan, this this every tribe and tongue and nation. Not the removal of those things, but the glory in all of them. That God would call out for himself people from every different group around the world and that we would be united together in one body in him in a way that the world can't seem to work as we, you know, keep dropping bombs on each other. Unfortunately, we've dropped a lot of bombs on each other in the church, too, figuratively. As we fail to pursue unity, to walk with one another in gentleness and patience and pursue building each other up. the glory which you gave me i have given them that they may be one just as we are one i and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me see this brings us back to jesus saying this is how the world is going to know but this issue of my followers loving each other because the way that we achieve unity in this very real sense is by our care for each other by loving each other by living lives that are sacrificial, living lives where we're pursuing service toward each other. When we when we gather together and we say, what can I do to benefit you? What can I do to be a blessing, a help to you? How can I share of what I have made or what I have earned? How can I share that with you? This, um, uh, When we get to the book of Acts, one of the lines there of the early church is that they had all things in common, and I love that. No one thought about anything as if it just belonged to them. They just... They had all things in common. I think that's such a wonderful reality about the the church. When we when we are at a place where we can say, "Everything I have, I have so that I can help." <laughs> help me to do that, Lord. That the world may know that you've sent me, and have loved them as you've loved me, and that's where a lot of these sorts of teachings boil down to for me is saying this becomes a testimony to a world system around us that is predominantly characterized by self-centeredness and greed. But there can be a community of people even in the midst of any political system, a community of people united together in the name of Jesus living lives, sacrificially serving each other. Giving up What they want for themselves to help meet the needs of of the people around them. Father, I desire, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. (laughs) That they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. He was not created. The world was created. Jesus was not. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. I have made known to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. There were a lot of things m- maybe that I think that I was going to say about this stuff. But I don't think I'm going to say them anymore. I just want you to hear the words of Jesus. And I want you to... Would you just pray the things that Jesus prayed? That's, that's what I want. Would you pray for for unity amongst followers of Jesus? Would you pray... That we would learn to love sacrificially and serve each other, and that this would become a testimony in our community that more people would would want to see that they would that they would um, hear this great news that God would rescue them. Jesus is so sure of what he's doing. And his prayer, his prayer is so real and true. I suppose at the end of the day, one of the few things I can say is I have been very selfish. So, Father, glorify your name in us, make us one, even as you are one, in with Jesus, with the Spirit, that the world may know that we are yours that you have loved us, and that you rescue sinners. I don't know what all of this looks like for each of us moment by moment. And so, Father, we are desperately in need of your Spirit to be our guide, the Spirit of Truth. Oh, Spirit of Truth, lead us into all truth. challenge and convict and change humble us, that we'd be children of light, walking in in love and in patience with each other, in in real care, that we'd genuinely reach out to each other and and look for ways to help each other, and ask for help when we need it too. Sometimes I'm too proud to do that. Father, we ask that you be glorified in us and that you would show us how we can love one another. How we can love one another. Please show us, Lord. Lead us in all of your ways. You are the king. We do look forward to when you return. We pray as Jesus prayed that we would be with you even even where you are even as Jesus asked that. But while we are here, And you have not removed us from the world. (laughs) Let us be salt and light. Let us be beneficial. Let us be demonstrating a different way. A different way, Lord. Your way. Please, Father. Please work in us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you and the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace you guys you're dismissed I love you